0: Welcome to the third edition of our new podcast series, Talking Data, which offers timely insights into macro data and its impact on the economy and markets. I'm Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading. Our podcast features Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. In today's installment, I'll be interviewing Jim to gain his insight on last week's sell-off in the stock market. Jim, the last three days, um, the S&P is down approximately 7%, um, quite a bit going on. Uh, Let's talk about speculation in the stock market. Is it a case of not so fast, my friend?
1: Yeah, it might very well be. Uh, I think the misdirection that a lot of people have had over the last several days is they look at all the statistics in the stock market in terms of volume, who's playing in the market, what they see, and they come to the conclusion that there's not a whole lot of speculation in the market. And I understand that. But look over in the options market of listed options. So options on Apple, options on Facebook, options on IBM or GM, 2300 of them or so trade that way. And there is rampant speculation in that market, probably exceeding the frenzy that we saw at the 2000 tech bubble peak 20 years ago. Now what's leading the the charge on this, and this is a bit of a controversy is, there's a big player, SoftBank, the um, conglomerate, a tech conglomerate out of uh, Japan, that supposedly bought billions of dollars worth of options to buy stocks of the FANGs. But the data says that really it's retail traders that have been going ballistic buying options on all kinds of stocks, especially the FANG stocks it's become their way to trade the market and it's become their way to day trade the market. One quick stat for you, 75% of all options that trade have a maturity within two weeks. So they're trading options that that expire within two weeks and they're either gonna make money on those or not make money on those. Most likely they're just day trading them anyway and you day trade them because they have a lot of uh, of, uh, leverage and speculation. So, Bottom line is there is a tremendous amount of speculation and if you were looking for a speculative peak to mark a high, you have it right now in the in the options market.
0: So is this comparable also if you think back to like the tech bubble of the 2000s?
1: Yeah, it, it is comparable to that in that, uh, that you had a speculative peak back then but the difference was people were speculating in stocks back then and now they be they seem to be speculating in options right now why options because options provide you a lot of leverage you buy one with a strike price near at the money you pay a few hundred dollars in premium you might lose all your premium but it's only a few hundred dollars but if you're right and the stock goes up and that was the story of august you can make multiples of your money in just a few days And so that is really launched them off. So, yeah, we saw speculation like this directly in stocks in 2000. Today, we have it again. It's just that we have it in that market. And I might add that that is a worrisome sign that the market is definitely near some kind of a a frenzy or a top in terms of uh, what you would expect. Most people think that markets top with a frenzied activity. That's exactly what we've had going into last week's high.
0: What about in terms of the market being overvalued?
1: Yeah, so that's the next point. It's okay, it's 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 good enough that people are are speculating, but what if they're speculating on a market that's a reasonably valued market? Uh and the uh unfortunately the answer there is that it's not. If you look at most of the metrics that Wall Street likes, like the metrics of um earnings, the price-earnings ratio, and the like. The market might be the most overvalued it's been since the tech peak, which was the all-time peak speculation that we've seen. Now, what you've got is let me use Wall Street's favorite metric: Uh, the price, the S&P divided by Wall Street's estimate of the next 12 months' earnings. And remember, Wall Street's bullish. They think that the earnings are going to recover. They think the economy is going to be fine. They think there's going to be a vaccine, and everything's going to return to normal. You're paying 26 times the earnings for, uh, you're paying 26 times for earnings based on the current value of the S&P. That is even more overvalued than it was at the 2000 peak. Now, that's not the only metrics that's like that. Price to EBITDA, trailing earnings, uh, market cap to GDP, a bunch of other metrics are in that range as well too. And the forward earnings, whether you're talking about value stocks or growth stocks or mid-cap stocks or small-cap stocks, they all kind of say the same thing, is that we are paying record amounts for stocks relative to their valuations as well too. Now that goes hand in hand with the speculation, right? The speculators have have boosted stocks and they boosted them so much that they seem to be greatly overvalued.
0: Are there any other examples that you can provide um, in regards to the overvaluation?
1: Yeah, you know, usually not all markets peak with overvaluations, but some of them do. Obviously, 2000 was an example of overvaluation. 2007 actually wasn't really example of an overvalued market. It, it broke down because of the of the way that the housing market broke down. 87, the the peak in 87 was a valuation peak uh, as well. To the 98 peak was not. Then the market sold off and recovered into the 2000 peak. So not every Decline has to start from a point of overvaluation, but when they do, it is particularly worrisome, and this one did.
0: So given that we've been talking about um, speculation and overvalued, would it be fair to say that your outlook might be leaning towards bearish?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You would normally say, look, you said that there's way too much speculation, and the market's overvalued. That's it. You're a bear now, uh, and you think that the market's going to fall apart. That's true, except, and this is a big except, you've got something different this cycle that you haven't had in other cycles. The Federal Reserve is full in in trying to support financial markets under the guise of financial stability. Federal government is full in in trying to support markets as well, too. There was even talk today as we talk about potentially being a bill in Congress to bail out the airline industry. So while you've got all of these worrisome signs, the offset to that is the Fed's got an unlimited printing press that they could create money out of thin air and support the markets as much as they want. Federal government is there ready to make sure that no industry or no big companies fail and go down as well too. So they're going to push back on this as well. If Jay Powell came out today and gave a speech and said, look, we're not going to intervene in markets anymore, I'd be really bearish right now because then you'd be stuck with way too much speculation in an overvalued market. But as we found in March, when they started throwing kitchen sinks, that was the phrase we were using, they were throwing one kitchen sink after another to try and stop the market decline, eventually it worked. And you could see something like that. now. Now, as you mentioned, we're only down 7%, and I doubt the, the Fed is going to step in, you know, at a 7% decline and start arguing that they should be doing stuff. But if this decline keeps going from here, it's very possible that we could see the Fed step in, and then that becomes kind of your offset. So I would put myself solidly in the 10 to 15% correction camp, as and we're halfway there at 7% as opposed to being an outright bear, at least for now, because I think before we have to talk about the market's going to have a serious 15% or more decline, we're going to have to have a we're going to have to fight through this idea that, that the might of the federal government, especially before an election and the Federal Reserve printing money out of thin air to try and stop the market, that it will just overwhelm that and keep going down eventually i think you know eventually somewhere in this cycle that will happen that the federal reserve will not be able to tolerate, will not be able to support markets at the wrong price but i'm not so sure that that eventually is now in this cycle so it might work so that's why i'll stick with a co- correction as opposed to being a full blown bear at least for now
0: any other warning signs or things we should be looking for
1: yeah um you know, there's a couple of other things to, to really focus on. It's September right now, and I think um, the two other warning signs I'd be looking at is, one, if you look at the alternative data, and we highlight this a lot, the high-frequency data that comes out daily, whether it's on mobility, like Apple mobility, tracking how far you move with your phone every day versus what you did before the pandemic, or open table with restaurants, or home-based with the amount of people that are filling out hourly uh, uh, cards to get paid from their 600,000 customers that they have. It seems like the economy stalled, the recovery stalled around late July, not reversed. We went down hard with the shutdowns. We recovered a good amount of it, but now we've stopped with the recovery and we're not quite making it back to pre-pandemic levels. One of the assumptions the markets got built in with these high prices is we are going to recover all the way uh, as well. So I'm worried that the economy is not doing better. Oh, but wait till a vaccine comes. Everybody knows the vaccine's coming at this point. They keep telling us every other day we're going to get a vaccine. The only question is whether it's going to be before or after the election. The other worrisome sign, I think, is going to be the election. Uh, Later this week, we'll do another podcast on the election. But let me just tease it right now for you. Uh, If you watch the pollsters, the poll analyzers, excuse me, Nate Silver, Charlie Cook of the Cook Report, Nate Silver 538, uh, The Economist, they've all got pretty much a uniform opinion. The election is over and Joe Biden has won it. If you look at the betting markets, and I'm not just talking about predicted.org, which is the largest betting market in the United States, but the London bookies all the way around the world, They've got this closer to 50-50. Not that Trump's going to win it, but that it is still a very much a toss-up race right now. So there's a divergence between the two. Uh, I still think that we have not begun. I'll save the analysis of what it means for the next podcast. But uh, I still think it means that we have not discounted this election either way in this marketplace. And that if it looks like there's going to be a Biden victory or a Trump victory, that there will be a reaction in markets based on one or the other. So that's still come too. So, stalling of the economy and the election, I think that those are two things that are going to have to be uh, considered as we move in over the next 60 days up until election day.
0: So, a lot of moving parts, a lot that's going to be forthcoming in the next couple of weeks. Um, Any other final comments or? thoughts as we wrap this up today
1: um just that expect more volatility that the you know the today as we talk the s p is down more than two percent the nasdaq is down more than three percent that other than march which was historic that will stand apart relative to a hundred years of market history what you saw in march leave that aside this is very volatile uh, and I suspect that we're going to continue to see big volatile days. And I'm fond of saying the phrase, don't confuse volatility with a change of trend. Well, the S&P is down 2.5% today. It was down nearly 1% on Friday. It was down 3% on Thursday. So if it goes up 2 or 3% tomorrow, that doesn't necessarily mean it's over. It's just that those are the types of moves you're going to get. Could be over. It doesn't necessarily mean it. That you're just waiting for the next big update to announce that it's all clear. That enough won't. That won't be enough.
0: Sounds good. Thank you, Jim, for your time today. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining our podcast, our third third edition. Uh, thank you for. Thank you for your time, and uh, as a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm that provides innovative research across a broad range of global fixed income, equity, currency, and commodity markets. Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science are two most prominent research offerings. As Jen mentioned earlier, stay tuned for our podcast later this week. And for further information on Arbor Research, um, please feel free to contact Gus Handler, whose email address is gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day.